When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, and welcome to the Hossadathon, the podcast that cultivates the farmland of films of one of the world's greatest animation directors, Mamoru Hosoda. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm running with the wolves tonight. Again. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Mamoru Hosoda. Steph, Jake, welcome back third episode of the Hossadathon, building up steam. <laughs> How are you enjoying it so far, Jake? I'm having a great time. Um, you heard how much I enjoyed Summer Wars. Uh, like that got me very hyped for the rest of the series. And knowing what I know about this one going into it, I was carrying on that hype. You know, we've already established that we like films about children that can transform into wolves. And I knew that this film was more nature-based. And I've always been really curious, having watched the previous films of Hosta, I've never been able to mesh that filmmaker with the filmmaker that Ghibli wanted to hire, uh, in a way. And I thought this is maybe the film, because I see a lot of comparisons to Ghibli on Twitter mm. for this film. Uh, so th this was one that I was really intrigued about, because in a way, from what I've seen, I can't imagine him as this more environmentally focused filmmaker. Mm. Uh, yeah. A lot, of, so, a lot of hype. We should say that that references to Wolfwalkers, the cartoon saloon film that came out earlier in 2021, which we loved, we covered in depth. And that, uh, do you know, do you remember, Jake, the connection between Wolfwalkers and Mamoru Hosoda? That's not just the fact that there are kids who are wolves in it. Um, that there are back, there are artists from Cartoon Saloon who did backgrounds on Bell, right? Ah, but before that, even so. Hosoda's daughter provides one of the Japanese voices for the Japanese dub of Wolfwalkers. So literally one of the wolf children in Wolfwalkers <laughs> <laughs> was provided by the wolf daddy himself. <laughs> oh, he is the Hosoda. wolf daddy, isn't he? Yes. Uh, for the rest of the podcast, can we substitute the words Mamoru Hosoda for wolf daddy? You heard it here first. <laughs> Steph, are you still on board? Are you still enjoying rewatching these films? I am super on board. This is one of my favourites, I think. Um, so I was really excited to get to this film. Um, especially after, you know, Summer Wars, 
little bit hot and cold on, so I'm quite excited to to get into this film. We'll have our own war about that. (laughs) I'm sure we will. So we should kick off, really. We'll have the synopsis, context, review sections. We should say there are spoilers from the off. That this this film goes goes hard quickly, doesn't it? So, if, listeners, if you haven't watched Wolf Children, go and watch it, and uh, then come back and hear more about it from us. But we should kick off with your synopsis, Steph. Wolf Children is the story of Hannah, a woman who falls in love with a wolf man and gives birth to his half-human, half-wolf children. So that's all you really need to know about the plot. Uh, Very short and sweet there. Um, But Michael, what do we need to know about kind of how this film got made? Where are we in in Hossida's journey up to this point? Contrasting your short and sweet synopsis with one of my rambly context sections as always so summer wars was a success as we talked about on that episode and after that Hosoda has the opportunity to go (laughs) Hosoda has the opportunity to go independent and he sets up his own studio in april 2011 with the producer yuchiro saito and they call it studio chizu and jake do you know what chizu means of course I don't, but I've seen the running order now. <laughs> Shizu means map, which of yes. course probably is firing off some of your happy hormones right there. Off yeah, the back I mean, of all t- the talk we've had within, maps. within two feet of me, I can show you the book that I've been preserving for my summer holiday read when I finally go on summer holiday. It's called <laughs> On the Map, and it's a history book about maps. So, yes, I'm very excited. Go on, tell me. Tell me why is it called that, Michael? Well, the sense of maps is central to the studio philosophy. They've got a bit of a blurb on their website, which lays out their ethos. And this is what they say. There is a long history of animation films represented more often than not by those of Toei and Disney, but there are still unexplored motifs and themes with limitless possibilities. Be self-reliant and determined with a spirit of challenge like adventurers, setting sail out to the big seas toward a frontier of possibilities and to discover a new continent of movies that nobody has ever seen before and draw a new map on that uncharted land. The name embodies this philosophy. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm on board. (laughs) They talk a good game, don't they? Get rid of Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland. These guys should be doing Uncharted. It's even in their their charter. So Chizu is set up very much as an auteur studio to get get, um, Hossida's projects made. And the first production they make is this film project, Wolf Children. And this is what Hossida said about the inspiration behind that movie. He said... At the time, there were many couples around me having kids, and they, especially the mothers, looked really cool and shone in my eyes. That's when I wondered if I could make a movie about raising kids, and I made what I admired and yearned to experience into a movie. So he's very much coming from the perspective of seeing all the people around him have kids, kind of marvelling at the dedication, the investment of, of having children. Of course, we mentioned this in summer was that Satoko Okudera was a mum and she's the, his co-screenwriter. So he works with her again on this 
project. By that point, she was a mother of a five-year-old and they work on the script collaboratively. She wrote two drafts, he wrote two drafts. They do a collaborative draft to finish three months to make the screenplay. She talks about how she was too close to the vortex of motherhood to really be able to write the the like the ultimate statement about parenting in this film so she appreciated Hossida's sort of more distanced objective maybe idealized view of what parenting is like and she said the director's goal was to reach people who have children and people who don't people with children without children mothers fathers daughters sons he wanted to make it a film that would give different emotions depending on who watched it um, she's also very gracious because she thinks the best parts of the film are the ones that play out with no dialogue, almost silently, so don't have any of her dialogue <laughs> in them. She said, the movie seemed to tell its story softly and gently, but it was actually rich with the skill used in the direction and animation. So there are very dense images. I think it was like a compilation of Mamoru Hosoda's works. You know, we like to shout out other people behind the scenes returning on this is production designer Anri Jojo, who, for example, designs the house that the family moved to in the country, one of the film's key locations. We also have a newcomer to this, well, to our miniseries at least, which is Daisuke Iga, who is primarily a fashion designer, um, and he's brought on to design the character Hannah's clothes, which is kind of a bit out of the ordinary for animation that you'd get somebody who usually works in real world fashion to design an animated character's fashion but this becomes more of the norm for Hoster's films well, going forward interesting that she's she's not dressed like particularly flamboyantly either mm-hmm. you might expect that of Belle or some or something where mm-hmm. you've got like the utopian internet where anything can happen absolutely so yeah for for relatively grounded characters even more even even less uh, common and then you also have Takaki Yamashita um, as the animation director. He was previously key animator, layout artist on Summer Wars and Girl Up Through Time. But he was Hosoda's mentor at Toei, was animation director on his Digimon and One Piece projects back then. He's a very important piece of the puzzle for Studio Chizu and works with them ever since. You know, I love shouting out all these collaborators. It's not just that we're going through the IMDb crew list or reading off Wikipedia. I really think that it's key to Hosoda, the sense of collaboration, maybe in a way that it isn't so much at the forefront of the story of somewhere like Studio Ghibli, which is very much Miyazaki-focused. Hosoda likes to talk about ensemble filmmaking where these artists can put their stamp on the film and in interviews and press notes for Wolf Children he talks about that particularly one aspect of the production that bears this out is how he works here with a smaller animation team so that each animator would then take on more of the actual drawing of certain scenes and that would have a particular effect for him. Um, on the the finished animation. Here's a quote. When working on movies with tight schedules, you usually have about 70 people with about 5 to 20 cuts each. But I want my staff to really think about the characters' feelings throughout the entirety of the scenes they work on. If you only do a handful of cuts just to animate the motion, for example, it's hard for them to grasp the essence of the scene. We believe animators are actors. We want to create animation through acting. 
Therefore, we wanted our key animators to do at least 50 cuts each so that with them, we could convey the expressions and the changes the characters undergo as the scenes progress. So it's almost like the animators are just seeing the character through the entire scene rather than doing the key animation, the key moments, the important moments. So he's really bringing his animators' um, point of view, their expressiveness to the fore. We talked about how Hosoda's international reputation was building throughout the previous two films, and I think that reaches a new level here with Chizu, and they very much want to reveal this film to the world. And they announce, when they announce the film, they announce that they've already secured a rollout across 34 international territories and countries, so it's not just going to sort of piecemeal go to festivals after a Japanese premiere. And in fact, Wolf Children has its world premiere in France in June 2012, which is just before its Japanese release in July, a few weeks later. Um, in Japan, it wins all the awards that we've mentioned in the past. Japanese Academy Award for Animated Feature, Mainichi Film Award in the same category. It's a big box office hit, outgrosses Summer Wars and everything to date. In fact, it's released a similar time to Pixar's Brave, and it beats that at the box office. It ends the year number five um, at the Japanese box office for Japanese produced films, uh, which is great. You know, just shows that he's really now on the level of major franchises and the sort of level that we talk about Ghibli as well in terms of placements at the end of the year. But, you know, all the way back at the, earlier in Ghibli Attack, Jake, you know, I like to quiz you about what potential competition these films have at the box office from Hollywood Productions. So Wolf Children outgrosses all Hollywood produced films that were released in 2012 apart from one. The highest grossing Hollywood film in Japan in 2012. It's a big franchise. Ensemble cast. Uh, later, I'm guessing uh, it's The Avengers. Ooh, if we were on QI, the klaxon would be going. Ah, interesting. Big franchise ensemble cast in 2012. Um, oh God, that's that's a long time ago now. That's almost ten years ago. How uh, is it a film I... I would have seen? You've definitely seen it. Um, directed by a filmmaker that we've talked about before um, and admire as well. This is a franchise oh. that by this point had been going for fifteen years. Is still going now. In fact, might have two entries coming up in the in the next two years. Oh, it's Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. It is indeed. Highest grossing yeah. Hollywood film in Japan that wow. year. Wow. I would not have expected that. Like that one like was solid at the box office, but not mega. That's really surprising. I think the big good film. yeah. Good film. The big takeaway from that is Avengers <laughs> didn't make that much money in Japan comparatively to something like um, what you never bet against Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I think so I think in that if you look at the takings that year, Avengers takes about as much as Amazing Spider-Man in Japan. And they are both outgrossed by the whatever the contemporary Resident Evil film is that year. And then way above both all of those is Ghost Protocol. How interesting. Wow. But that's all, by the by, what we're talking about here is Wolf Children, which was a box office hit in its own right. International acclaim played at the London Film Festival. That's where I saw it all those years ago and really sets him up once more, Hosoda, as a international filmmaker of renown. But how renowned is he amongst the three of us? <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about Wolf Children itself. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Jake, you said in the intro that you kind of expected this one to be the most Studio Ghibli kind of related film that Hossard has made so far. Uh, did it kind of live up to your expectations of that? Yeah, it, it really did. Um, I think there is so many reference points that we can see from in this film that we could draw lines to in Ghibli films. But I think it's very much a Hosoda film at the same time. Uh, I think in the way that it approaches narrative, in the way it approaches characters, that is very Hosoda. Uh, as we've spoken before, that this kind of heightened melodrama and big concept wrapped around um, what can be very much human relatable problems. Um, but I think his interests here in nature, in agriculture, uh, are really fascinating. I think stylistically, you can see why it was imagined that he could take on a project that would eventually be directed by Miyazaki. I think you can really see that here. Um, I think you can also really see there's a softness to the characters and the nature that reminded me a lot of Yonobayashi's work. I think uh, it looks a lot like Arietti to me. Uh, and it looks a lot like Mary and the Witch's Flower. It's really clean. Uh, I think the character design is really lovely. I think the, the backgrounds and the nature is incredible. And it has to be for the story to work. Because that is so integral to Arme's role in this. Like You need to make that nature be kind of so desirable. That you can get into that character's headspace. As to why he'd want to be part of it. But I think as much as it is stylistically got this Miyazaki feeling. Uh, if we were to compare it to a Ghibli director. Like. It's so it's his most Takahata film as well. Like you've got those sequences where it's like taking five minutes to talk about the process of planting potatoes and like doing <laughs> documentary style like shots of that process and like just the way that water drops onto leaves and the way that it will linger on those individual movements of whether that's nature or people uh, interacting with their environment. Like that's such a Takahata thing from only yesterday. Uh, and Pompoko, especially here, like you can see that relationship between humans and the wolves and the kind of encroachment on that natural space uh, and trying to kind of 
find that balance between humanity and nature, which fascinated, well, Takata and Miyazaki. Um, even like the design of the wolves and the foxes, they, they look so like the ones in Pompoko. Like, you can really see the ghibliness that he's bringing to this, which we haven't seen in The Girl Who Let Through Time or Summer Wars before. Um, and I suppose, just to draw another comparison into the, 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 the Ghibli gumbo that I've brought up there, um, we mentioned in our Ponyo episode the kind of apocalyptic event that needs to happen to draw everything together and give everything this drama for drama's sake. And I suppose even down to it being a, a flood, we get a, a similar feeling there too. Um, yeah, I but yeah, that is to say, I, I enjoyed this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose an aspect that this film has that a Ghibli film probably would never have is um, actual bestiality happening. Mm. <laughs> so clearly and obviously very early in the film. What did you make of all that, Jake? The wolf romance scene. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so with, with Pompoko, we get we get the testicles, but we don't get the bestiality. And this one, we get the bestiality, but we don't get the testicles. And you know, maybe there's a nice midpoint where we just get, we get to see everything. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, what did I make? I, I was quite surprised that the int the intimacy was shown to the extent it was, um, to put it delicately. Uh, but I think it's so sincere that you don't really shy away from it. And they, the building of the relationship between Hannah and Wolfman is so well done. Like, it's so romantic and so believable. Going back to those silent sequences, those are some of my favourite bits of the whole film. And I think Hossett is a really skilled silent filmmaker. We saw this just after the grandma character dies in Summer Wars. You have that amazing long tracking shot that goes alongside all of the characters um, just kind of as they're feeling this moment. And he, like, that shows his skill as an animator and I suppose his rhythmic skill as well, that you don't need to be telling people what's going on, but if you show the right people in the right place and you move the camera in a certain way, you can translate such huge emotions. Uh, and that montage when the, um, Hannah's pregnant for the first time and it's not in a kind of Western rom-com way, like, aren't I a klutz? Uh, and like, oh, don't I look massive and all oh, my dresses don't fit. It's actually just really sweet and tender and you get so invested in them that yeah when you see them when you see them have sex or when you see him kind of get well when you see his dead body and thrown in the back of that garbage truck like you you really kind of feel the strength of these emotions whether those are positive or negative what did you think because i was worried that uh, at the start this was just going to be like when I, I kind of gathered what the plot was going in the first five minutes i was like oh no is this just twilight um but it's not it's not at all um but it is it is i suppose jarring that like that the the romance between a wolf and a woman is at the center of what is a very sweet kids film how do you think it walks that tightrope well, it's funny how kind of normal it all is. I think that lovely silent sequence at the start, just kind of showing their romance and Hannah's pregnancy. Um, it's so kind of romantic and and sad, but I think it's because it shows those kind of little everyday moments. Like he brings her a, a little tin of canned peaches when he finds out she's pregnant and all the kind of small things like him cooking dinner, even though it's like, 
he goes and hunts a pheasant. Oh, I, I think that's uh, and brings it back. Like that, that recurring <laughs> motif of her making the yakitori and dipping it, and like that coming back mm. throughout is. Like, mm. We've we've mentioned in all the episodes how good he is with his food, but like absolutely just tying that to the relationship so strongly, mm. and like that sequence where they're just they're kind of sharing each other's lives through those meals mm. with each. Oh man, so good. Yeah, I think like it it does really well at like grounding like a big idea like that it it it, it's, it speaks to that sort of gentleness that um Satoko Okudera talks about in the storytelling where this is after two quite high concept sci-fi films time travel movie war on the internet and in, in summer wars and go through time this is a fantasy film but it's a fantasy in the everyday film where really the Wolfman is just a, I suppose, a metaphor for some form of difference, some form of mystery. And the thing is that mm. it's similar to how we can view Porco Rosso in that respect as well, isn't it? Like this is like true, like we are kind of meant to assume more that this is reality, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's so realist in a lot of other respects that you can absolutely you get the metaphor straight away. Absolutely, but also it doesn't necessarily nail down the metaphor in any way across the film in a way that 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 means you're always recontextualizing yourself towards it because you could say is this um metaphor for you know him being an outsider in terms of ethnicity in terms of class in terms of being a spy or and whose perspective is the story being told from? Is it from Hannah's point of view, late in life, telling the story of this mysterious sort of mythical absent father that by that point could, you know, could, could have been a man or could have been a wolf man, could have been a, you know, a person who just sort of came into her life and left very quickly in a tragic way. The way that those stories do take on mythic properties um, through a, a mixture of mourning and grief and nostalgia and, and love so there's something very poignant about that and then using the metaphor then as it the the shift goes from the romance between the two of them the twilight aspect as you say jake to the single parenthood to then the coming of age of the children the metaphor then takes us all the way through that to the point where you have the very real, very simple parental thing of I've been, I've given birth to a monster. It's messing up my house. It's chewing the walls. What do I do? <laughs> All the way through to the kids have an aspect to them that is fully their own, that their parent, their single parent can't understand, which is their wolf identity that they have to reckon with. And we can read that in so many different ways or, you know, project all sorts onto that but there is something quite universal at the heart of it which is we all have inside of us this one wolf (laughs) (laughs) Um, and whatever that is when when we come of age we've got to reckon with that and find our place in the world so it's a really poignant and quite powerful metaphor that runs through the film i think absolutely and you know michael i have a dog that's pretty much the same thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as your experience as a parent uh so i i get it you know i feel those depth of emotions i can imagine as a parent this can like is such a kind of heightened emotional watch 
um like it was emotional for me um but i can't imagine what it would be like when you're watching this and you are imagining your children in in those characters you you can't not and whether it's from like the just the the character animation of the kids which is so funny and so delightful and so real like whether they when they're moving as humans and they're moving as as dogs wolves um and i totally recognize that behavior in mine um but in the 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 depth that they give kids mm-hmm. i think is something that's rarely seen like how you're able to really go on a journey with those two kids and see them go on essentially break up uh, as siblings which is something that most siblings will do like you don't just you're not just linked together forever in in all the things that you like like you you become your own people away from your parents and away from your siblings and that's not something that you see very often i think you maybe see like the kid going off to uni and that's a regular thing but these two picking their own paths and kind of being violent towards each other as well as kind of having this admiration but it's not they're not trying to force a relationship there that isn't right like they they have recognized this as individual people themselves and i lo- i love that pro- providing that autonomy to kids to allow them to go like that i was a bit frustrated where like the kind of resolution for the, the daughter was to become the societal expectation of what a girl is um by having having the dress and joining the other girlfriends but there's there's so much of it on that side of things that i really really loved and we haven't mentioned how it looks like like this it's incredible like the we never i never thought that anyone could do skies clouds trees as well as ghibli could but you like you've got to kind of just take a breath with this and the, the film kind of encourages you to take that breath as well like to just think on what you're what you've been watching the story you've been engaging with look at this cloud look at the way that this water droplet drops onto this leaf and experience that and kind of think on how enormous the themes of this actually are but how accessible they are as well it's really really good but it's just a shame that it goes down into that (laughs) apocalyptic drama route in the last half an hour because i don't think it needs any of that i think like the characters the metaphor is so strong you don't need to pile on a load of other stuff to it as well I don't really see it's argument time in this okay. podcast. Um, I don't really see that like big apocalyptic drama. I see it's a big storm and they get stuck at school and like if this feels very small and contained to me, like compared to something like Summer Wars, where it's like, oh, actually now there's a, a nuclear bomb dropping or whatever. Um, and I think it like I think it works really well and um, yeah, that kind of the. I feel like it's kind of necessary in terms of like splitting the characters up because it is kind of that inevitable, like every, that kids have to leave home. Everyone has to go their own way. And, and you see kind of Ame, like the, um, the younger child, I guess, like reckoning with his own identity and realizing, I guess, that he has to kind of follow this like unknown side of him, um, Whereas Yuki is kind of choosing to, I guess, live with it, but join society. Yeah. Um, And I guess if we're talking about it as like this kind of like, you know, it's like more kind of realistic and you can, there's a lot of metaphors going on kind of, I guess, in terms of like gender roles, that character of Yuki kind of starting as 
a character that just wants to be a wolf and doesn't really care and then very quickly realizing that um you have to kind of hide certain parts of yourself and change if you want to be part of society and and kind of her her whole journey is like she really wants to go to school she really wants to like do all this stuff that normal girls do and then kind of realizing that 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 means not fully being yourself is like a really yeah i I think interesting progression for her i think i would prefer that that line if the film approached a more of a sense of tragedy maybe in that way that i think you can see this with kids where you like you might love something about them when they're when they're a toddler when they're young when they're so free-spirited and when they kind of might dull themselves down to feel like they need to fit into society i think that can like like that is something that everyone goes through but it's quite a sad thing as well and i think i think Mm -hmm. i'd like to see a a bit of sadness in that with yuki because i think it presents her doing that as a good necessary thing um and i think there's a gray area to it and with the with the flood i think i i think it's just frustrating that the thing that provokes ame to do what he needs to do is this external force because I, I like about the film is that it's really kind of trying to push autonomy onto these kids and like promote this independence and the fact that it's this outside force that makes that happen is a bit annoying like i'd rather like that is fully his own choice to do it and he's just a bit annoying i think like, maybe that's the thing like when he go when he's full emo he is just a bit annoying like, sorry mom and then like walking out the door and leaving the door open and it's it's just um maybe i just found him more annoying than the event um whereas every everyone else and even Arme up to that point i thought was such a a curious and engaging character and again not the kind of like this kind of this shy but rich character is not one that's often drawn um and i thought all of them were so intriguing and i think he just became a bit thin at certain points near the end Hmm. like he's reminded me a bit of jughead from riverdale when he's like I need to be alone. It's like Jughead saying, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. It's who I am. <laughs> well, dogs, dog years uh, go quicker than human years. So I guess he's just growing up extremely fast and he's actually... He's 10. 17 when he's 10, yeah. Wait, he's got the... Dog years are times by seven. So he would, be, he would have been 70. <laughs> he's actually an old man. Yeah, he's, he's going into a home. Grumpy old bloke. Yeah, that, that, that's what he is at that point. Uh, that's why he wants to be alone. Yes. <laughs> But I mean, we have so much tragedy in in that opening, and I think it the film is good for not trying to heighten like best itself at the kind of the Wolfman's death. Mm. Like, I think there's so much like small tragic detail throughout the film. Like, I think you know she can't bury her own like husband yeah. and the father of her children because he just gets dumped in the the rubbish truck and the only picture she has of him is his driving license and i just like those kind of little details where like she has she has like barely anything of this person who's like affected her life for longer than they've been together like by the end of the film like with her kind of 10 10 and 12 year old kids mm. um and that's just kind of changed the whole course of her life and I think there's like some really nice like moments for reflection in the film that make that so pertinent 
I mean, yeah, she literally moves to the country and learns how to grow potatoes, like, because this guy has, has kind of come into her life at this point and just completely taken it on a different course. Yeah. So I, we, we've got, we, we jumped from moving to the country to flood and we, we, we didn't really get into that middle section, which is maybe my favorite bit of the whole film. Um, cause it is like a anime version of grand designs. Because uh, uh, <laughs> Steph, you, you've recently got into the Grand Designs, and oh, yeah. uh, you know the best Grand Designs episode always have tragedy at the heart of them, or drama, melodrama at the heart of them, where it's like, so how much have you spent? Oh, we've accidentally doubled our budget, and also my <laughs> wife is pregnant, and also um, my friend is dying, and all, like, um, and all the while trying. To, I'm going to be the project manager because we don't have a budget anymore, um, and this is her like taking on all of the, all of the weight of a great Grand Designs. And doing it in such a lovely fashion. Like we we haven't had a great cleaning montage yet. And we got that here. Just the satisfaction of her working her way around the house. I think she was already doing the roofing on the first day that they moved in. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> like, She's got all that quick. Yeah, so good. Like that. And like going to the mobile library. That was something that I had. Because I, I lived out in the country when I was young. So like this van rolling up. And you'd go and pick out your <laughs> copy of Captain Underpants. Um <laughs> I, I really loved that just as the, when it was just exploring this hub of the country house for about half an hour or so and like the surrounding area and the people mm. and the farming just just total bliss and it's combined with this music which i think is really different and so lovely and reminds me of um Sigiros when they're not being like big epic Sigiros when it's just kind of being jangly kind of not totally melodic Siguros and it's all uh it's kind of like almost stream of consciousness bells and whistles type music and it's just so beautiful um yeah, yeah. great section I, I i love that section because it's again in a very gentle way exploring the uh, themes that we come back to throughout his films which is about human connection and community and that paradox or contradiction perhaps about being in a built-up city with thousands of people around you and having no support network and no one cares and there's no connection or and then moving out to the country where maybe it takes a bit of time to gain the trust of the the ornery blokes in, in, in the field over <laughs> but they will look out for you they will help you and the the bonds are stronger can be formed stronger in in places like that so that that, that contradiction in terms between it's where people are sparser that um or more sparsely populated places that are more sparsely populated that connections can can flourish there is i think it's a very like positive film about humanity to be honest mm. like you know like we talked about like cartoons and wolf walkers and the the plot of that film is very much kind of humans versus wolves and humans hunting wolves and that's kind of what i was expecting going into this film just because that's a very kind of popular narrative for you know like people turning into potentially dangerous animals um but i think yeah the thing that really comes through with this film is like maybe human humans are inherently good like there's a lot of kind of connection and forgiveness like where you don't really expect it to happen and and kind of the 
the final I feel like the final message is that kind of like even though you might be far apart you're still kind of connected to the ones you love like you you can still hear their little wolf howl on the wind if you listen closely um so I think yeah it's like a really a really positive movie about humans surprisingly (laughs) absolutely I did also think though how much money did he have saved up because she's like, I had, he left me a small amount of money, but that was enough money for me to raise two kids in the city for four years, go out and restore a massive house and then uh, <laughs> maintain that lifestyle whilst then getting a part-time job that's on less than what a high schooler would earn. Like, what job <laughs> allowed that much money to be saved? Uh, but there we are. That, that and the flood, those are the flaws. <laughs> <laughs> what wolf children gets wrong about single wolf motherhood <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we're all very much entranced by quite a lot of wolf children here so we should probably move on to our final segment the Hoss Order and see where it ranks alongside the other two films so far Okay, Steph, Jake, time to rank these films, these beautiful, delicate, wise films that must be put in order of best to worst. <laughs> Jake, how, I, how, you, how we rank all our children, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Jake, I'll come to you first. What's, uh, where does this rank uh, next to the others? Um, I think because maybe just because like Some Wars was such a nice surprise for me, that's still going to keep the top spot. Um, and then wolf children and then go through every time at the bottom for me Hmm. what about you steph uh this is far and away my favorite so far so wolf children at the top uh and then yeah still go who let through time then summer wars i probably would go summer wars wolf children go who let through time wolf children is a film i really admire but despite what you just said, Jake, about wondering what it's like to watch this film as a parent, it doesn't push me over the edge emotionally. I'm, I love the metaphor, as I said. I love what it's doing. And hearing you two talk about it is really making me want to go back and watch it again. But it's one of those films I probably prefer to talk about rather than watch. Uh, so That's brutal, mate. <laughs> no, I, 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 said, I love talking about it. And I love watching it too. But I probably prefer talking about it with you two. That's not necessarily being brutal. I'm not chucking the film... In the back of a garbage truck. I, I know me and Steph are. I know me and Steph are be- pretty beautiful people, but I don't think we're quite as uh, beautiful as wolf children. No, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to say some films grow and um, uh, seem more beautiful in the mind after watching it. I think that's actually mm. quite a quite a unique and beautiful thing in its own way. But so I'd probably put this middle table for now. But I think all of them are pretty pretty fab so far. But what's up next? Up next, we have more animal hijinks. We have the boy and the beast. So uh... I'm very curious about this one because, I mean, this one is a bit of a Beauty and the Beast story. And then we've got the boy and the beast and then Belle, which is also a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. He likes his beasts. <laughs> he does. But until then, listeners, please get in touch about Wolf Children or any of the films so far. We're on Twitter at Ghibliotech. We're on Instagram, ghibliotech.pod. We also are on email, ghibli at little.studios.com. We're also on Twitter individually. You can follow Steph at underscore Steph Watts. 
You can follow Jake at JKH Cunningham. And you can follow Michael at Michael J Leader. And if you haven't already, you can still buy the Ghibliotech book. It doesn't contain any of the films that we've just been speaking about in this series. But if you like the ones that we have been talking about, hopefully you'll like those ones as well. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. Our music is by Anthony Ying and James Payne is our editor. listeners thanks for sticking through the credits once again so Nirosaki, the grandpa character that reluctantly helps hannah grow the potatoes in her garden he was played by the legendary actor bunta shigawara uh, in his final film role out of almost 200 films but you might recognize his voice in some other animated films he also voiced kamaji in spirited away so there's another grumpy old guy who has a soft spot for the main protagonist but doesn't really want to show it Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.